Hello and welcome to Epic Healing Transformations. The purpose of this podcast is to create a safe place to heal, transformation, and evolve. Your host, Michelle Manning, is the creator of the Quantum Soul Clearing Process. Each week, we'll be bringing you new and innovative ways to heal and transform every area of your life, emotionally, mentally, physically, and spiritually, and financially, so you are free to bring your gifts and talents into the world to become the best version of who you are designed to be and help revolutionize the world. This show will inspire you, lift you, connect you, and give you access to the most cutting-edge healing resources available anywhere on the planet. This is the Epic Healing Transformations Podcast. Hi, and welcome to Epic Healing Transformations. I'm your host, Michelle Manning. And today I have with me Nada Hogan. She is a dream builder coach. She's certified by the Life Mastery Institute. And Nada actually inspires and empowers all those that are drawn to her to live their highest vision in the context of love and joy. Her passion is really teaching clients to unlock their true potential, achieve outrageous success, and live the life they love living. She's also an acupuncturist, an oriental medicine practitioner, and a certified transformational life coach. So Nada, welcome. Nada is also a really good friend of mine. We met at Steve Ulsher's New Media Summit and I just fell in love with her and you're going to too. So Nada, welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you, Michelle. And I have to tell you that I fell in love with you at the New Media Summit and you were one of the most supportive people I have ever run across. And I think that we instantaneously became friends and I'm very grateful for that. Yeah, I am too. You've just really enriched my life. I can't wait to share your story with my listeners because when I heard it, I just bawled. So tell me how you actually got into doing life coaching. Tell me your story. Well, thank you, Michelle. So I've had a couple of different careers in my life. And in 2008, I was actually working as a behind the wheel driving instructor. And my daughter was 18 years old and was killed in a car accident. And needless to say, your whole world is just shattered, right? There's no ground underneath you and the world is just completely upside down and you're flailing around. Well, reverse back maybe five years, my father, who was older but very healthy, had a illness that just kind of popped up out of nowhere. And for his perspective, my dad, I'm not going to share on this podcast what it was, but acupuncture was able to take care of it in one treatment, which is kind of unheard of. Wow. So after four months of Western medicine, not being able to put a dent in this problem that he had that just kind of came out of nowhere and became very chronic. So after my daughter's accident, I looked after my father for a year and then acupuncture popped into my head because unfortunately my father was at this time now older and his health was failing. It was just obvious his time was you know, it was up. It was time for him to transition into a new dimension. And I thought, oh my God, I don't have my daughter. My father is now not doing well. What am I going to do with myself? And acupuncture popped into my head. And so I thought, well, if I go to school for acupuncture, at least my mind will be busy, right? Because you know, you're on the brink. I was very aware that I'm either going to be okay or I'm not going to be okay. The abyss was right there. 
Well, I just can't even imagine, Nada. I mean, every parent's worst nightmare is losing their child. Yeah. I just can't imagine what a deep, dark hole you were facing. And I think that's part of it because the whole thing about going to acupuncture, I wouldn't have done it before. I had called when I found out what acupuncture had done for my dad. I called the school and I thought, oh, I'm going to go to school to be an acupuncturist. That sounds wonderful. And then I found out it's like three additional years of school. And it's like, <laughs> no, I'm not doing that. But now it's like, I don't know what to do. It's like, you can't even think straight. There's no thinking, you know, what did I have to lose? So I got into the acupuncture and as a way to bury my head and not have to think about the reality that I was living, but you know how reality always will show itself to you. Mm -hmm. But it was through the acupuncture when I started doing coaching and it all ties in together again with my daughter. Her name is Dara. And I do say her name is, even though she has passed away, because even though she's passed away, her name still is Dara. It, it was then, it is now, and will always be until the end of time. Right. So it was working with patients that were having emotional blocks because I had a few emotional blocks myself going through this and acupuncture and coaching through with the acupuncture was able to get me onto the other side of whatever that emotional issue that manifests as a physical problem. Right. And so I started noticing that, oh my God, I'm doing this with my clients. I'm coaching them into you know, this emotional block that's causing this physical pain. And that is how I got into the coaching end of it after starting with the acupuncture. So my daughter had her hand in all of that. If I didn't really work with energy very much, and it was after Dara that I started working with energy work because acupuncture and oriental medicine practitioners were the ones that were showing me that this condition that you have right now, it's not a physical condition. It's an emotional block that's stemming from your daughter. So I had this skin condition that came up with my hands, like an eczema. Mm -hmm. And it was very interesting because we worked with it for a year and a half with the best Chinese practitioners doing acupuncture and topical treatments and oral herbs and nothing was clearing it up. And then I went to an American acupuncturist, not that the Chinese were bad, but just looked at things a little differently. And I was with an American acupuncturist and she asked me, it was the first time anybody ever asked me, what do you think is going on? And in Chinese medicine, the skin is represented with grief. So if there's deep-seated oh. grief, many times there will be a skin issue, a rash, you know, like eczema, psoriasis, something along those lines. Even dandruff can also be like a grief kind of. And I said, I think I'm still grieving my daughter. I think this has everything to do with my daughter. Now, this is four years out. I'm in my final years of school, and I'm getting ready to take my boards to become a licensed acupuncturist. Right. So the formula that she came up for me, it translates into English as warming the uterus. And it's actually a formula for fertility. And I thought that makes no sense to me whatsoever. And she said, the theory is it was such a shock to the womb and we call it the baby palace. The womb mm -hmm. is the baby palace. Such a shock to the womb and that cosmic connection is still there. So if we can heal the root of the womb, then that will help to heal the skin and will help to process and heal the grieving. Not that the grieving will stop, but it will be more supported. Yeah, it allows you to move through it in a different way. 
Well, and you know, as you say that, you know me, I'm an empath. As you say that, I can feel how deep that grieving process really attached in that womb area. That is profound, profound. Yeah. Yeah. Holy cow. That was incredible. And I mean, it was unbelievable because it cleared up my hands in a week. So I had done this for a year and a half and nothing was changing. Nothing was changing. And within a week, my hands had completely cleared up. And it was like, oh my God, what is this? And it helped me to know also the connection with me and my daughter that even though her physical body isn't here, we're still connected. You know, it's harder to explain, but it's that connection just became so much more clear to me by, of all crazy things, taking, I still got acupuncture, but I believe it was the herbal formula that really turned the corner for me. So, yeah. That doesn't surprise me. That really doesn't surprise me. And honestly, you know, from an energetic standpoint, when you give birth to a child, that connection never goes away. Right. Which would explain so many people who have, you know, had children and given them up for adoption and then go on to have, you know, so many skin issues or, and I'm thinking of a couple of clients of my own that, you know, right off the top of my head. And I'm like, oh. Yeah. So what you just said makes so much sense to me. And I can feel it in my own womb, that connection. And I think my sense is also that that terror of losing a child comes from that connection there at the womb. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Interesting, interesting, interesting. So, okay, you went to acupuncture school then to kind of figure out how to heal more than anything else from this devastating loss. Right. And it was partially an escape route because there was no way I was going to go back to work. At that time, I was working as a behind-the-wheel driving instructor. Oh, so I wasn't going to go back and do that. And so it really it was an escape. And it's that knower in us, that piece of us that just knows. Mm -hmm. I believe that was guiding me so much and so unconsciously. That was the piece because even though I would use it to take up my time, I mean, I wanted to get good grades. I wanted to learn. I really wanted to know it. So it wasn't just completely an escape, but at the same time, it was an escape. I don't know if that makes sense. And it was through that that I got to start healing too. What I know about my own healing journey is sometimes what we think is why we're doing a certain thing isn't really why we're doing this. <laughs> Yes. Of course, it's because I'm just going because I want to learn something new and, you know, just kind of do something with my brain other than I was like, yeah, okay, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> sure. <Right. laughs> of course, that's why. Not really. Uh -uh. <laughs> oh, yeah. No kidding. No kidding. So talking about grief, how does somebody who has had a major loss, whether it's a child, whether it's a husband, a best friend, a parent, I mean, grief is something that we just, we are not equipped to deal with very well in this society. And we don't get through life without some kind of grief. And yet we're not being equipped to deal with it. How do you help your clients really begin to heal? Right. Well, you know, it's so interesting because I'm working with a client right now who just lost a family member unexpectedly. And it's a couple months out from losing this family member. And just for respect for this client, I'm just oh, trying yeah. to be as vague about that part just because I haven't asked permission. Yeah, privacy is everything. Yes. And it could be anybody. I mean, we all lose somebody. None of us goes through this life without 
losing somebody. We don't. No, no. And one of the things that she said, because this is two months out from the unexpected passing of her family member, and she said this last week was just so hard. It was like walls, like I would just go along my day and then bam, there's a cement wall and it would floor me and I would cry and sob. And what is all of that? And I think that is just part of the healing process. I think that is just grief. And one of the things I think we do a very huge disservice to humanity in the Western world, I would speak, and especially for boys, men, where we tell them often, you know, suck it up, big boys don't cry, keep pushing through, you know, death or grief is part of life, you can make it through this. And the interesting thing is that the neurochemicals that are in our tears are there to help the body get back into emotional alignment. The body doesn't want to stay in any state of pain for any length of time, which doesn't mean we don't grieve, we still grieve. But one of the ways that we grieve and allow the body to come back into alignment is to cry, to sob, and get all of that stuck energy out. And in the tears, the, the literal neurochemicals are different if you're crying because you're happy or you're mad or you're suffering grief. The chemicals are completely different. That's the body's innate way of getting it out so you can feel better, even if it's just a temporary thing. Will you say that again? That is a huge piece of information. Our tears actually are designed to help us heal. Absolutely. Yes. And so if we're denying ourselves true emotion, you know, it's interesting because when you were speaking, you know, I was thinking about going through the betrayal that I experienced last year and just how shattered I felt, you know, with losing my husband, not losing him physically, but having him leave the marriage. And there were days I literally could not quit crying. And I thought, I'm losing it. You know, I need to check myself into a mental hospital. And I didn't. And I was fortunate that I had family members that, you know, were trained. And I just remember thinking, I just need to cry through this. And I'm like, I'm never going to quit crying. If I start this, I'm never going to quit. And so there were days that I was reluctant to cry. And yet you have to, don't you? Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's amazing. And when we think back on those days that we're just crying and crying and crying, there's always that moment after a huge letdown and the huge cry, the ugly cry, the snot, the tears, the (laughs) on the floor or in the bed, wherever it is. And for a second, when you get to take that breath and it's, you know, that... (gasps) And you catch a breath and it's almost for that moment, even if it's just a split moment, it's like, I'm okay in this moment. And then we can go right back into that horrific crying and sobbing. But there's a part of us that just knows I came up for air and everything is going to be okay. There's just that knowing piece. Even in that gasping for that breath, there's that knowing piece that everything is going to be okay. And then the body's not done. So it goes back into sobbing and crying and the whole bit until you can come back up for air and feel that knowing that it's going to be okay again. So yeah, and it can just be those waves where it's, I can cry for seven hours or 12 hours or 24 hours and know that, well, tomorrow I'm not going to cry and I have 15 minutes of not crying and then, oh man, here we go again. And I say, embrace it. 
embrace it and allow it and love it and love yourself because the body is doing everything in its power to try to heal itself and be back in alignment while it's processing the grief and the pain and the loss and the shattered world. How do you do that though? When you are in so much agony and you know this firsthand from your own experience, how do you just let yourself do that? I mean, sometimes there isn't a choice. You, yeah, just do it. Yeah. But for somebody who is in the middle of a nightmare, what do you tell them? How do you help somebody? Because this is really your area of expertise. This is one of your areas of expertise is helping people through that horrific dark night of the soul. Right. Yeah. So I know for me, one of the things that happened is I felt like I was having a nervous breakdown. Mm-hmm. And it was one of those days I couldn't quit crying. And it was probably two months after my daughter's passing. Mm-hmm. And I just, I couldn't get it together. And I literally was like walking in circles. I was just walking in circles. I just, there was no rhyme or reason to anything that I was doing. And those, you know, gasping for air kind of cries. And I thought I had a friend, I met her. I didn't know her super well, but I had a friend who had lost her son when he was eight years old or 12 years old. Mm. And I just immediately called her because she's like, oh my God, she's got to be able to tell me what to do. And so I called and she had a very hard time understanding what I was asking her on the phone because of crying and hysteria. And, right. and it was probably the most honest answer that anybody who had ever given me. And it was probably the hardest thing I ever heard too, because I said, how do I do this? How do I do this? And she just said, if I knew that answer, Nada, I would be a millionaire. There is no way to know how to do this. You just have to keep doing moment by moment. And that stuck with me to just know you can't make somebody's pain go away, but you can have compassion and sit with them and be with them and hold them. And you know, when I'm doing it, I always like to bring in some light at the end of the tunnel by just saying, I know how it feels to be in your shoes. I know how it feels. And this is the hardest thing you will ever get through. And I will be here to support you, whatever that means, a a phone call at 2 a.m. or we come, we sit together and no words are shared at all. Just knowing that somebody else has been on that path and is now farther down the road and they came out of it okay And actually, they found a way to find blessings and gifts that are hidden in that tragedy because I think there's always gifts that are in a tragedy. There are. It doesn't look like it up front, though, does it? Not at all. And if somebody would have said that to me, I probably would have told them to go F themselves. You know, I mean, seriously, it would have been no, because you want the whole world to rally around you, you want the world to stop. And everybody on the planet come to you and say, we're here and we got this. We got this. You don't even know what the hell they got, <laughs> but, but it doesn't happen like that, right? It doesn't happen like that at all. And, you know, for me, the things that just seem to work the best, work the best in the sense that it is kind of a light at the end of the tunnel is just to be there and say, I can feel the pain with you and I can sit with you and hold you, or we can just sit in complete silence and just know that you have another human being that is supporting you at the time. I mean, there's not, I don't have a recipe for, you know, if you could do this and then do that and do this, and then you're going to be able to get through it. And it seems like for me and the clients that I've worked with, just knowing that somebody is there and acknowledges that I feel like I am dying. And if you can just be a lifeline or a buoy, don't take me out of the ocean. I'm not ready to come out. 
but just be a lifeline and hold me up enough so I can breathe. That seems to, to be working. And the only way that I know that I've done that and have been of any support is I think people like to hear stories and like to know that you've been in a place and you made it out okay. And if you made it out okay, then there's a possibility that I can too. And if I can ride on your shirt tail, if I can hold on to you long enough, will you keep pulling me along when I hit those big dips in the ocean and I feel like I can't catch my breath? Right. Yeah. Well, and I think, you know, for me, going through that horrific dark night of the soul and wondering if I was going to be able to even live through it. And you do feel like you're losing your mind. You feel like you've lost everything. You feel just, for me, it was utter devastation, like I had never felt before. And I just remember thinking, how am I going to get through this? And my cousin is a psych nurse. And I had gone up one day, I had just had absolute meltdown. I had just lost it. And I knew that I wasn't safe. I was afraid I would do something to myself. Yeah. And I, I called her and she said, get up here, just drive up here. And she lives up in Idaho. And, you know, I just remember going up and just sobbing. And I mean, hysterical, the ugly snot cry, like yeah. you said. Yeah. And just feeling like my soul was shattering, my physical body was shattering, my whole world was just shattering around me. And it wasn't even losing a child. It was it felt like I had lost myself and a soulmate. I just remember her holding me and holding space with me. And she's like, you're in the worst pain you can possibly imagine. And she'd been there, you know, she'd been through several divorces and some of them pretty devastating. And she just said, you're going to get through this. And it's like, I don't believe that. I don't believe that. But having that witness, having that person hold that space and whether it's somebody, you know, a professional or it doesn't matter who it is, it's somebody holding that space for the agony that you're in, don't you think? Absolutely. And understand, even if they haven't gone through that thing, understanding it enough to know that I could be in the same amount of pain that you're in. And so I will love you and hold you and support you however I can love and hold and support you in this moment too, right? Because it breaks our heart when we see somebody else who's hurting, no matter what the thing was that causes that pain, it breaks our heart. And I think just as, at least it's my interpretation of the world, that when we see that pain in another person, if I could take some of your pain away, if I could lighten your load and allow you to not feel as much pain, I can carry some of that pain for you right now. And I think we do that by holding that space for that person and allowing them to have that ugly ass cry and go through the hysteria and the crazy and the psychosis of it all. Because I just think that that knower inside of us, somehow it's bigger than anything else, even though that voice doesn't seem very loud during those times when it, your whole world is crumbling, right? In, and it feels like your physical body is crumbling with it. But just like that essence of us, and I always call it the knower, it's just like that just knows enough that it is going to be okay. It is going to be okay. And I think that that light, even if it's very dim, it stays bright enough to be able to help us take that next step or find the right people to be able to support us and say something that is enough to be able to say, oh, I can hold on to that. Because it just feels like there's no footing. It's like Alice in Wonderland going down whatever hole. I haven't seen that show forever, but remember, you know, she's spinning down into that deep, deep hole. It's like, there's nothing to grab on. The walls are smooth. There's no bottom. There's no top. There's no place to go. And so it's, it's that if I can just hold on to something and just sometimes it's a word that you would never even expect that it's just a word 
or it was the energy that the person who delivered that word, it's enough for us to hold on to enough to know that somehow in this moment, I'll be okay in this moment. And then I think those moments just get a little bit longer and a little bit longer. I think that's really brilliantly said. Those moments do get a little bit longer and a little bit longer. And I agree with you. I can't tell you the number of times that somebody had said, you know, you're going to come out this stronger on the other side. And it, I just wanted to punch them, oh, honestly. Yeah. yeah. It's like, if I hear that one more fucking time, I'm going to hit somebody, you know, yeah. <laughs> pardon my language and pardon me, audience, but I do have a potty mouth. So <laughs> best to let them know now, right? I know, right? <laughs> So pardon me if that was offensive, but mm. you know, there are just times that I thought if I hear that one more time, I am going to punch you. And it was true. Not that I would punch them, but right. <laughs> okay. That might be the time, <laughs> but it was also that they were right. They were absolutely right. I did get through it. And the blessings on the other side, oh my gosh, I have come out and I know that you have too, because I know, you know, I didn't know you before, but I'm a completely different person than I was. And what I also know is that for me coming out the other side of that experience was so important. I couldn't become the person I needed to be in that relationship. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I would never have even started this podcast. I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have done so many things because I couldn't. It was a different energetic space than what was required in order for me to show up in the way that I need to show up. And again, I don't want to compare what I went through with anything like losing a child, but I do know that any trial, any tribulation, anything that we're going through that seems so insurmountable, there's something else on the other side. Yeah. And how we get there is always a journey. It's always, always, always a journey. Right. And the self-discovery in that journey, right? The things that we never would have discovered about ourselves if we did not go down that road, if we didn't have that experience in our life, we would never discover the things that we're capable of and the gifts that that come out of that thing. And it is true. You never want to hear that when you are going through that. And a a betrayal, I mean, that's, it's horrible. That's horrible. And the pain of that is just excruciating. And I can feel myself just anger with with just feeling what that is like, right? Because it's it's so, oh, yeah, you're just blindsided. I was, and it was also, you know, looking back, I wouldn't have left the relationship any other way. It had to be, that big, that painful, because I was so brilliant at just excusing bad behavior. Ah, yeah. Yeah. So for me, it was a necessary part. And it also helps me, I think, in my work with people to support people in a different way than I would have otherwise. Not that, and believe me, I wouldn't wish that kind of pain on anybody, and nor would you with what you've been through. Right. But what you evolve into, what you become is so much more, so much more. Yes, absolutely. And there's such a gift in that. And there's so many people, and I'm sure you know them too, who have experiences that they would never choose for themselves and never choose to evolve, never choose to get through it, right? Because how many people do we know have been betrayed in a relationship and either they continue that pattern with new relationships and blame the person for what the first person did wrong, right? Mm -hmm. Or just choose to, I, I know of a family who they lost their son 
oh, probably seven years ago now, I believe. And when the date of his anniversary of passing comes around, they close windows. You know, it's just like the whole entire world just comes to a stop. And it's like, oh my God, you are in such deep pain again. And that is self-induced. You keep bringing that on yourself, right? And that's such a place to try to navigate and get out of that because you don't have to do it like that. In my opinion, it doesn't honor that person who passed away. It just keeps you in the pain. And however that pain is serving you, because it's serving you when we keep going back and dipping into the well of pain, but there's just another way to do it. And it's when other people can see that it doesn't have to be like this, that I can heal from this tragedy, whether I was betrayed or it was a loss of a loved one, or, you know, I lost my house in foreclosure or a natural event, whatever it happens to be, that there's a way that we can navigate that because there's life still in us. There's life that still wants to be expressed in a beautiful way, right? Like a rose bush that's just giving off this beautiful scent and this beautiful aesthetically pleasing just to look at it, not not even just smelling it, just looking at it just brings such joy. I want to bring you back to something that you just said that was so profound about the client or the person that you know that still when the anniversary comes around, I think in many ways, tell me if I'm wrong here, but there's a belief that if we don't honor them in some way, we're we're losing their memory. When you lose somebody and those mile markers are so huge, sometimes we don't know how to get past them. Right. And not to take away. I So pardon me if I'm going to step on anybody's toes here, but my example here is like 9-11. Every year we go back over and over and over. And yes, it was a horrific event. But at what point do we say and come to the allowing, you know, rather than being in the pain of it, I guess is my question. Where do we acknowledge that we've lost, but we don't keep the suffering going? Because there's a difference. There's a difference in acknowledgement versus suffering. Would you agree? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And it is, it's acknowledging and sending love. So if we use 9-11 to never forget that, of course, but not to keep going back to the pain of it because it just opens wounds. And hopefully we don't do that to ourselves when we have a bone that's, healing after it's been broken, we don't go back and keep breaking that bone, remembering that incident. You know, I was snowboarding and I broke my leg. Well, hopefully we're not going to go back every year and break that leg again to, right? We can remember the pain of it. And then what was the growth of it? Because that event happened, we can't make that go away. But how can we show up as better people? How can we show up more loving, more understanding, with more compassion, with more to give to others instead of going back to a place that is pain? And it doesn't mean forgetting anybody. It doesn't mean forgetting the event, but it means we don't have to pitch a tent there, that we can acknowledge what has happened. And then what's something good that has come from me that I do differently now? You know, am I, am I more respectful of the flag? Am I more respectful of what first responders do? Because I had no idea. I mean, you just take it all for granted that there's policemen and firemen and EMT. And all of a sudden it's like, God, that took on a brand new role for me. So when I see somebody that's in that job, whether they're in the grocery store or whatever, and it's just like, you know, we thank our vets for their service because good Lord, I can't even imagine what that would be like. But to even be able to say to a fireman or a policeman, thank you. Thank you for what you do. 
because your life right. is on the line all the time too. And I think that honors the people, whether it's 9-11 or, or whatever it happens to be. I think that's the way that I look at it, that yeah, you're exactly right. Acknowledge it, but we don't have to stay in the pain of it because there's no healing and staying in the pain. And if you look at a tree, any growing plant that's out in nature, they get hit by things, they get engraving in them, and yet that tree just keeps on growing. And it's got this huge wound. It doesn't just stop saying, mm -hmm. oh, well, I have this, you know, my husband backed into one of our trees with a bobcat. And it's got this <laughs> huge old chunk taken out of it. And it's oh, like, dear. Oh, I don't know how long you're going to last, but it's like, it just looks at me. It's like, I'm doing pretty good today. So I think I'm going to be around tomorrow too, right? It doesn't just stop and stay stuck in that thing that happened. And I think we can learn a lot from nature that, yeah, we take bumps and bruises and things happen, but we don't have to stay in that place. We can grow from that place. Right. I agree 100% with that, which also brings me to another really touchy subject. Because yeah. <laughs> I'm really good. good. Touchy subject here. <laughs> Yank up with that wound again here. <laughs> so when something catastrophic happens, how do you find forgiveness? You know, when there's betrayal or when, you know, somebody accidentally takes a life or, you know, maybe even purposely takes a life. How do you get to forgiveness? Or do you believe that there is forgiveness? You know, maybe I'm alone here. I always ask this question, you know, how do you get past something like that? Yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting. I was just talking about this today with my client who had lost a family member. Mm -hmm. And it was very interesting for me because I'm in Minnesota and I don't know how it is in any other state, but in Minnesota, if there is, you know, like a vehicular homicide, it's called, then you have to go to court, the state will take the person who was in the vehicle that killed the other person will take them to court. And it was the last thing that I wanted to do, but that's just how it is. So the process, because this gentleman had been taking some Xanax, it was a generic form of Xanax. And so it took a year for this thing to come to court. So when we finally got there and I was sitting in the courtroom and there's a court liaison that was with me. And I think it's because in case you freak out or, or whatever, <laughs> they have to restrain you, whatever it happens to be. And I knew that's what was going to happen. I knew that I was going to see this man. I knew he was 60 and now he would be 61, but I knew that I was going to jump the banister and I was going to attack him. I was going to, and I went by myself and I did that on purpose. I didn't want any other family members to be there with me. I wanted to be there and to face this man by myself. And I knew the court liaison would be there. And as I'm driving over there, it's about a 30 mile drive from where I live. And I thought, oh my God, I'm going to end up in one of those orange suits behind bars because I've attacked this man in court and it's going to be this crazy thing. And there's all these witnesses. Oh yeah, <laughs> I, I, I won't be able to wiggle my way out of that. So... <laughs> So as we're sitting there and they call his name, and of course, I don't know what his name is, but I could tell from the court liaison that that was him. And I just caught him out of the corner of my eye. Now, remember, he's 61 years old. I just caught him out of the corner of my eye. And there was not a second where I thought, I forgive you. There was a wave of forgiveness instantaneously in that split millisecond of me seeing him. And there is no question in my mind that that was Dara, that Dara herself was that wave of energy of forgiveness. And it was done. It was done. And I just thought, oh my God, because you could tell he was a man that the world had beaten him up. I mean, not physically beaten him up, but emotionally 
had beaten yeah. him up and it was so obvious. And, you know, he was kind of disheveled a little bit and his glasses were thick and, you know, a little greasy from fingerprints from pushing him up on the lens instead of pushing him up, you know, on the side or in the nose piece. And my heart broke for him. I mean, it was this forgiveness and this instantaneous, oh my God, my heart breaks for you as much as it does for us. And here's the thing that's so interesting about that forgiveness piece. I don't know what would have happened if I didn't feel that. I'm not sure. I'm not sure what would have happened. But I know afterwards, and maybe it was even a year after that, so two years after Dara's passing, I remember thinking in the kitchen, I was making a a bowl of cereal. And I remember thinking, if it was a kid, if it was a teenager, if it was a 14, 15, 16-year-old drinking and driving, then I'd be mad. And at the same time, it's like, no, I wouldn't. I would feel so sorry for this kid because he has his whole life in front of him. And he has this thing that will always hang over his head for the rest of his life. So would I say that I mustered that up myself? I don't believe so. I believe that that was pure love energy from Dara that just came over me. And so when people say, how do I forgive? My perspective on life and humanity and human beings is that we are all pure love and we make mistakes. And sometimes we act out of anger, but I believe it's ultimately fear. And we do things that we wouldn't normally do, but we're busy protecting ourselves. And we do the most ruthless things but I think we only do that because we are so afraid. And I think we're just walking away from love. Thank you. Thank you for that. I know that that was a huge turning point for you. Yeah. So when you experienced that wave of forgiveness, did it feel freeing to you? Because I can imagine there are people out there going, whatever. Yeah. How could you possibly forgive? But What I know is how many people I have spoken to over the years who have looked, you know, a child's killer or, you know, somebody in the eye and they're like, I can't do this. I can't hold on to this pain. Right. I can't hold on to this because it serves nothing. It serves no one. Right. Right. Yeah. And the whole thing about forgiveness, if that event didn't happen to me, like I said, I don't know how I would be. And I didn't understand forgiveness very well then because I held a lot of, well, I don't want to call it revenge, but there was a lot of people that I wasn't very happy with in my life. And right, like past, like 10 years, 15, 20 years ago, and you'd be like, oh yeah, 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 that's right. I'm angry at you. I hope I'm holding a grudge, right? So with this, after that happened, because that, that wasn't in my personality that I knew of, I never knew that I was capable of forgiving and something like that. I never knew that I would be capable of doing that. And I studied forgiveness a little bit more and it started making sense after years because it didn't make sense right away, literally years. But forgiveness has nothing to do with that person. It's setting you free. You are letting go of the grips that that person has on you. Because every time when we have been wronged in whatever way it is, and we choose to not forgive the way I see it, that person has power over us. Because if we're starting to come from, I think about this person and I get angry and right, and then our whole vibrational state changes and our mood changes and we approach everything 
in that moment completely differently. We can be in a great mood and now I'm all irritated. And now I hate the clerk at the grocery store because I just thought about this person who, you know, did me wrong 15 years ago. In my world, that person still has control over you. And the whole thing with forgiveness is allowing you to break away from that person's grip on you. There's a beautiful saying that I believe it was Marianne Williamson, and it's not going to come to me. I'll send it to you and you can put it in your show notes. But it was beautiful how she said it. Forgiveness, it allows you to see more love. And she just says it beautifully. It's much more than that. I would not have known that prior to Dara's accident. I never would. I wouldn't have believed that. It's just like, no, because then forgiving this person who screwed me over means that I'm saying that what they did is okay and nothing could be further than the truth. It frees you from that event and it allows you to continue on with your life in a much bigger and better way than you did before. You know, part of the quantum soul clearing process that I do, there's a forgiveness component in there and it never fails to astonish me how powerful that process is, especially when somebody is still grieving something or, you know, hasn't been able to release. And what I was shown when I was given this particular part of the process was it isn't about condoning bad behavior. Right. When you actually forgive somebody, you're saying, you know what, we've had this interaction, we've had this energetic exchange, we've had this dance, and I'm done with the dance. I'm not going to do this with you one more minute, because I love myself enough to let it go. And from a soul perspective, I can see how holding onto it frees neither one of us. Right. And it isn't about condoning bad behavior. It isn't condoning the hurt, the harm, the damage. It isn't about that. It's about freedom. And it's about freedom to live completely unfettered, to live in a way that allows in all of the possibilities and the potentialities and the joy that is who we're designed to be. And it also frees that other person to deal with their own karma. Because when we can't forgive, we're taking on that other person's karma. So my sense, as you were saying, you know, this wave just came over me was that it was releasing that karmic connection and freeing you as well as freeing him to deal with whatever it is he gets to deal with as well. Right. Right. And it's funny, this came to me today when I was talking with my client about the loss in her family. And it didn't occur. So it's been 10 years, 10 and a half years. And it just occurred to me today. So I imagine all of my life, I'll have more aha moments about all of this. But I remember saying way back when, like, why him? You know, so I told you he was older and a little disheveled. He was diagnosed with Asperger's years before, not after the accident, years before. And I just thought, you know, why him? And why Dara? And there was a part because we asked the judge, part of the sentencing is, you know, you have to have jail time. You'd like, you know, whether it's a year or six months or whatever it's going to be for that crime that's committed in quotation marks, because it was truly an accident. He, He didn't do that on purpose. No. So today when I was talking to my client, I was just like, oh my God, I finally know why him and why Dara. Because in front of the judge, we asked the judge, please don't give him jail time. I mean, what is that going to do? He's going to be in jail with people that are not nice. And 
he has already been beat up by life and this thing is weighing on him so horribly as it is. And even the lawyer representing him was just like, what? You know, startled that we asked for no jail time. I knew he had to do something. So let it be community service, you know, and work at a soup kitchen or do something that is giving back to other people and something where he can have some kind of value in it and not punishment. It just doesn't seem like it was something to be punished. And it was today, it was like, bam, I know exactly why it was those two, because he got to understand forgiveness. He got to feel somebody really, truly love him as a human being who made a mistake and to be able to be forgiven for that. And like I said, 10 and a half years later, it's just like, oh my God, what other, and I mean, oh my God, like, I do believe it in a higher power. What other things will come to me? What other awarenesses will come to me through this process? You know, especially 10 and a half years afterwards, that's a long time. That just makes me cry. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, isn't that crazy? Because I'm telling you, people who knew me prior to this accident, like one of my girlfriends in college said, because I had a couple of friends, long story, but I I want, want to make it short. I wasn't at my apartment and a couple of my friends kind of broke into my apartment just to raid whatever beer I had and have a little party. And one of my other good friends, her name is Mary, said they invited her over. She's like, oh my God, I am not going because I know the revenge of Nada. I want nothing to do with it. He is going to terrorize you guys for all of your life. And I was furious when I found out and she wasn't part of it. So she's like, Phew, you can't be mad at me. So the thing that happened in me, the flip-flop in me, I mean... It can't be bigger than that for a mother, I don't think. Yet, like I said, it just opened up a part of me that I didn't even know was inside of me. And I think that's part of the forgiveness piece too, is I was so busy protecting myself all of my life that if I don't come across as a strong, you know, you can't penetrate my armor person. And if I have to get all up in your face, it's not because I'm all tough and mean and a bully. It's because I'm afraid of something. And so for somebody to be able to forgive me for any act that I ever did, you know, I mean, it's what a blessing. It's a blessing in both ways. It gets to free the person who's holding the grudge or holding the pain. And it also gets to free the person who did the deed, the wrong deed, the bad deed, whatever the deed happened to be. And I think ultimately that is just love. And I think that's what this whole entire thing about life is, is it's just love. And I think it's a way of bringing us back to our source of love. That's how it feels for me. I couldn't agree more. (laughs) It really is. To me, that really is the essence of why we're here is reconnecting, refining and refining that love because that's who we are. We are love at the very core essence of who we are. That just is us. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for that. Yeah. Yeah. We are just about at our limit and I'm just still in weeping here. Oh, (laughs) so much. (laughs) Yeah. How do people find you? How can they find you to learn more about you? Yeah. So my website is in the middle of being revamped, but people can still go to the website. Everything is still up, but it's under construction behind the scenes. So I don't have anything fun to offer, except there's some nice blog posts and some inspirational things that are on that website. And that is just simply nadahogan.com. And if they want more information or want a discovery call, a strategy session around coaching, they can just send me an email at nada at nadahogan.com. 
perfect. Thank you so much. What last words of wisdom do you have for our listeners, Neda? There's been so much content here. (laughs) (laughs) It was great. It was a great interview. I'm so honored to be interviewed by you, Michelle. It's been wonderful. You ask wonderfully empowering questions and thoughtful, deep questions. I think the last words that I would leave is there's just so much more than what meets the eye. And that if we can remember that we are ultimately all just love and we put up these barriers to protect ourselves because there's the fear. It's not because we're asses. It's because we're fearful. And if we can see that in one another and know that we're doing our very best in the moment that we're doing whatever our doing is, that if we can remember that and come from a place of love, that it literally can heal and change the whole entire world. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for being here with us. Thank you for your incredible wisdom. And you know, thank you for everything that you have been through in order to get here because I'm positive has not been an easy road. (laughs) I'm positive, but thank you for your wisdom and thank you for sharing everything with us today. All right, everyone. Thank you for being here with us today. And if you would like to connect with Nada, that it'll be there in the show notes, please share, rate, and review this podcast. And thank you for listening to Epic Healing Transformations. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks, Michelle. Thank you for listening. If this episode has touched your heart, please rate and review it and then share it with all your loved ones. Reach out to Michelle and share your thoughts, feelings, and experiences at michelle at epichealingtransformations.com.